Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. What do you do when the Messiah doesn't meet your expectation? If we're honest with ourselves, we probably have been let down by King Jesus in prayers that weren't answered in the way we thought and in circumstances that we assumed would turn out different and expected to turn out different and it didn't uh, come to fruition. Our text today, we're going to be in Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, and, and I'll begin by saying that humanity is driven by anticipation and expectation. Uh, in fact, in counseling, you'll learn, that, you'll learn that frustrations are almost exclusively birthed out of unmet expectations. If you see a marriage that's falling apart, if you see a person who's angry, hopeless, bitter, uh, discouraged, what's happened is that they've, they've had expectations or anticipations that didn't come to pass, and now the response to that frustration of unmet expectation is the dysfunction of broken relationships, faithless living hopeless and shattered dreams. The list goes on and on. I find this to be true in my own life that, that the, the, the times that I get frustrated are almost always linked to the fact that I had expectation or anticipation that weren't met. In fact, if we think about it, so much of this season, this Christmas season is built on expectation and anticipation, isn't it? And have you ever thought about or thought about even this year what you've already expected and anticipated Christmas morning would look like? I know for little kids in the house, you have one expectation. <laughs> Sometimes they don't wake up as, uh, as joyful with the same expectations as you have. The experiences you're anticipating this season. And hear me when I say that I love this season. Cards on the wall, cookies, Decorations filling the house, classic Christmas songs playing, Christmas lights illuminating the snow-covered yards, MEAs, profits increasing this month. I mean, it's, it's all good things. In fact, one of, my, one of my most favorite things is to wake up early in the morning or stay up a little later and just have the Christmas, Christmas lights on, in, in the, on the tree. I, I just, it, it is such a beautiful time of year. So, so hear me when I say that I absolutely love this season. And the anticipation we all have hope to find is that kind of that magical excitement again, right? No matter the reality we live in, we're still, we still find ourselves chasing something that maybe we don't exactly reach. So we use decorations, Christmas lights, music, candles, family traditions, and put ourselves into kind of a, a hyper-reality. In fact, I saw Costco selling this year. They're selling Pac-Man arcades. They're selling easy-bake ovens, Lori. <laughs> Uh, they're selling Atari. And and what they're doing is they're trying to help us contribute to this nostalgic uh, uh, memory of Christmas past. Now, don't get me wrong. I think it's great. I love traditions. I love those things. Jonathan Garland proposed this question. What if the birth of Christ wasn't recorded to, to just warm our hearts? What if it was recorded to put hell on notice? Never really thought about that before. So what do we do when God doesn't meet our expectations? When there's a chasm between what we hear and what we read and what we desire and then what we see? 
Because for Israel, there's a very real tension during the time of Isaiah. They were in despair. They were hopeless. They were confused. They were oppressed. We'll pick up in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. We'll begin in 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord, the zeal of the great I am of hosts will do this. That's a really powerful statement. So first I want to look at God's promise of transformation here. The people walking in darkness. It's described in chapter 8. And if you can later today, go read chapter 8. They were in immense darkness. But they've seen a great light. They've walked in the shadow of death, but now life is coming. Verse 3, you have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. They are glad when they, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. That is, instead of being plundered, now they've won. And this is, Israel's hearing this from the prophet Isaiah and going, this is great news. This is sounding promising. Verse 4, for the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. He's referring to, the, to Gideon and, the, and with only 300 men against thousands of Midianites surrounding all the hill country, the countryside, God worked something miraculous and there was victory for Israel. And you could put yourself in Israel hearing like, this is hope, finally we have some hope, finally there's going to be something miraculous being done here. As in those days, God will shatter the burdens of oppression, the yoke across their shoulders. And then listen to the imagery in verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. In other words, they won't need them anymore. There won't be any place for battle garments. There won't be any place for, for the, this this. This, this robe, that these weapons that, that we need to defend ourselves, there's a promise here that a king will destroy all oppression and all injustice and all war and all savagery and all idolatry. All of the elements of war will be gone forever. And Israel's going, yes, that's our king. That's our God. He's the prince of peace, the one who makes peace. And in these verses, we find God's promise of transformation. And then in the next two verses, God describes the means of this transformation. And this is the key to having proper expectations. Verse 6, we're very familiar with it. For, us, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Imagine 
how excited Israel must have been when they heard this. He sits on, his, on the throne of his father, David. Verse seven, of the increase of, of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. Finally, Israel will have what they've longed for. And the zeal of I am of hosts will do this. It's not just a begrudging thing that, that, that the great I am, that Yahweh's going to do for them. It's his zeal that's going to accomplish this. And they're going, finally, he's the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace who brings this transformation for all time that's been described. And he calls a prince of peace because he makes wars to cease. But the baby is the means of transformation promised by God. Israel must have been overjoyed Finally, some reprieve. You see, Isaiah is in the middle of the 7th century here. About 15 years later, in 735, rather than liberation, the Assyrians actually are starting to come down into the north and looking to bring Israel into captivity. 15 years. They're going, man, Isaiah gave us this word from the Lord. And, and now, now, we're, now we're in this, this continued battle. Now the Assyrians are coming down and, the, and they will eventually take Israel into captivity. Then the exile in the south has finally taken place around 587 BC. And eventually the temple is built around 520. So now we're talking over 200 years before any sign of positive movement. The wall isn't built until about 484. And even then the people are under oppressive rulers one after another until the Maccabean revolt in the second century BC. And talk about unmet expectations. We're talking 700 years of them going, man, I, I, man maybe Isaiah was wrong. Where, where's, our, where's, this, where's this wonderful counselor? Where's this prince of peace? In fact, even when Jesus came, their expectation of him was, hey, overthrow Rome. We'll, we, we see you. We believe you. We actually say, hey, you are the Messiah. You are the fulfillment of these prophecies. Now overthrow Rome. And Jesus had even a different plan than that. You can feel the discouragement. You can only take so much discouragement of continual unmet expectations. And the response was to turn away from him. So when we're told to trust God, when we're, we're not simply being told, you know, trust God and our life will be without problems. Trust God and we'll have happy children and grandchildren and success. Trust God and everything will work out like we want it to. Because the reality is we must surrender our expectations to his sovereignty and his goodness. We must trust him according to his plans, even his will when it's not the time frame we'd like. One of the most valuable truths I've learned in the last maybe seven years is that vision is right, but timing is wrong so often in my life. And when I, when I have a vision, when I have a desire that I feel is a godly desire, I'm going, okay, I immediately put a time frame on there and say, all right, this is my desire, let's do it. And God doesn't bring that in, and so I start questioning the desire, start questioning the vision of this and going, God, where are you at? I thought you gave me this desire, this, this would be honoring to you, and you know what? Maybe it's not right. Maybe, God, you're mad at me. Maybe, maybe, you, have, maybe you are not for me. And so we, we have all these questions that's no different than Israel. 
And what I have learned is that so often the vision is right and God wants us to continue that hope with the vision, but our timing is wrong. In fact, even when David was, had a vision for rebuilding the temple, the timing of that rebuilding was wrong. His son were to take that over. And when I trust in the goodness of a loving father, then the timing really becomes irrelevant. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't trust him in our day-to-day. It doesn't mean we don't ask him for peace and for prosperity. It doesn't mean we don't ask him for, for these things that we desire, but we have to trust his timing in those. We want peace in our good, and, and that's good. We have to understand, though, that it, if it doesn't come as we expect, God doesn't cease to be loving or in control, even in elections, even in economic failures. God is in control and he'll bring all of his promises to pass, one after another after another. And the part we may play in that is a time of suffering. It may be a time of revival. It may be a time of persecution. It may be a time of prosperity. It may be a time of poverty, but God is still going to bring all of, all of his purposes to fruition, not only for our lives here in Palmer, Alaska, but also for all of his people around the world and for the accomplishment of his kingdom for all eternity. And that, friends, is what we celebrate in the birth of a savior, that there is no government, no political system, no, no war, no, no military, no country that can thwart those plans of an almighty God. We just have to surrender our timing of those things. Ultimately, our hope is in Christ coming again, isn't it? Especially in times where we don't see ways out. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe it's, it's that we see that he came as he was foretold and we go, but we want the culmination of that right now. We need that soon. And we say, okay, I understand. We, we look back and say, okay, Jesus was born, but, but God, you, you need to hurry you need to hurry. And I pray all the time, Lord Jesus, come. I, I, I look forward more than ever in my life to the return of Christ, making all things new, end suffering, end wars, all these things. But the truth is that there is a reality that God's timing is better than mine. Think about in your life the things you would have done had God's sovereignty not hindered you in the wrong timing. Oh my goodness, it could be devastating. And God's love and his sovereignty says, hey, I know you're gonna question this. I know you're gonna feel hurt by this. But like a loving father would do, not give candy to their kids right before bed in a very, in a very uh, uh, human way because it wouldn't be good for them. God says, hey, I know you have a desire. I want you to have these things, but I need to work this in you first. I need to do this in your life first. We too, like those in Isaiah's, Isaiah's day, are called to trust God, to take him at his word, even when we can't see clearly. Not to fear what our culture fears, not to find false security in comfortable circumstances, but we find it in a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. That's who we find our comfort in. 
And he's inviting us to be members of this great kingdom that he's building, even when we don't see that kingdom coming to fruition. In fact, in Philippians 3, 20 and 21, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Christ can subject all things to himself. He is leading the church. The, the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. He has his kingdom. Peter says that we're pilgrims and sojourners. What this means is that all nations of the earth, all cultures, all political parties, all people are secondary. What is primary is there is another kingdom, and in that kingdom is King Jesus, already sitting on the throne. He conquered death. In that kingdom is King Jesus. That is a reality more real than what we perceive this life to be. He is already in power. When we put our trust and obedience in Christ, as difficult as that is, sometimes we become citizens of that kingdom. We become members of that family, adopted sons and daughters of God under the rule of Jesus, our King. He sends us out into the nations of the earth as ambassadors. That's what Paul says. Go out into the nations of the earth and to love people, point them to our king, to invite them to join our kingdom that's coming. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ. Listen to this. God making his appeal through you and I. That God is saying in my kingdom, I am appealing to the lost. I'm appealing to the broken through you and I who have a faith in Christ, who, who are adopted sons, of God or sons and daughters of God. And he's saying, I'm, I'm appealing to the world through my church. That's an incredible calling. He says, and Paul says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We implore you. I mean, this is Paul the Apostle going, man, I'm telling you guys right now, I am begging you. I am imploring you, be reconciled to God through Christ. But in that journey, we're going to face trials. In fact, Jesus wasn't silent about this fact. Romans 8 talks about this frustration of, of believers because of sin, because of death, because of evil and corruption in the world, among the nations and the earth. And, and, and we see it, man, I'm so tired of death. I'm so tired of hearing about death all the time and tragedy and, and abductions and all this stuff. I'm just tired of it. And it, and it creates this longing for, for newness. That all creation, all of us, human beings, all that is made, we're longing and yearning and anticipating for deliverance and for God to make everything good and everything new because eternity has been set into the heart of man. And I want the kingdom to finally come and for the king to finally rule on earth. Man, I want that so desperately. I want everything to be complete. There's a day coming where all that will occur. There's a day where every wrong will be righted. Every sin will be dealt with. Every sinner will be dealt with. Where the curse will be lifted. 
Creation will be made new. We will be made new. We will see God face to face. We'll be before his throne. We will be his people and he will be our God. All faith will become sight. And we'll live in a completely different world. And that kingdom is coming. In Revelation, we find the inauguration actually of this great day, the fulfilling of that prophecy in Isaiah where the king comes and his kingdom unfolds. Listen to how it's described. This is incredible. The seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came and for the time and, and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants and the prophets and the saints and for those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. He is coming to claim his earthly throne. And he will come with fire in his eyes. He will come with a sword from his mouth, with king of kings on his thigh, with no mistake that this is the culmination of this kingdom that has been building behind the scenes. It's incredible. For some of us, though, Christmas will remind us of the loss we've endured this past year, of the prayers we thought would be answered differently, the unmet expectations that left us discouraged and distressed. Maybe like Israel, we hoped that if we gave our lives to Jesus, he would do certain things for us, and he just hasn't. The anguish of everything not being made right. The season tends to bring about those memories. And for others, it will bring celebrations of new beginnings, new life, new relationships, new traditions, even new salvations. Some of you have found the Lord this year and this is gonna be your first Christmas celebrating the birth of your savior. That's incredible. Some of you maybe have lost a loved one and you sit and you wonder, Lord, I don't know how to celebrate when this has happened. When, when I had an expectation of crying out to you and you didn't save, you didn't heal. And wherever you find yourself this morning, I want you to know this, that 2,700 years ago, a promise of hope, a promise of hope was giving, given to a suffering people. 2,000 years ago, that promise was birthed in the form of a baby. Humble, not of, of great stature, not of great reputation. And God who took on flesh would suffer and die to bring those who believe into an eternal kingdom. Ruled by a perfect king and eventually free from all sin and suffering. And that king is Jesus. When we think of Christmas, man, I love the warmth of that, that pursuit of a, of a Hallmark-style day, right? You know, I, I'm just drawn to it. But at the end of the day, 
that, that's fleeting unless we understand the significance of that baby. Unless we understand that the celebrations, the gifts of, of, that were given one another, the celebrations, the traditions, all point to the saving baby who, despite the circumstances we will face and the timing of our liberation, is still reigning king. Who would grow and suffer and experience loss experienced separation from his father for the first time in eternity, who would have his friends betray him, who would have his siblings think he's crazy, who had nothing but good motives for people, and people mocked him, they beat him, they persecuted him, and they killed him. And he rose up in glory because of his faithfulness. That's the baby we celebrate the birth of. That's incredible. And when he returns to bring about judgment for sin and reward for faith as he makes all things new, this is the game changer. There will be judgment for the injustice. For those who are getting away right now with injustice, those who have committed wrongs against you, wrongs against other in, in, in the path of disobedience and with unrepentance, there will be a judgment for that sin. All the corruption, all the oppression, everything that we might continue to face for our generation, our kids' generation, who knows because God is the only one that knows the timing of that. But our faithfulness during that is where our hope lies. When life throws us curveballs, we stand firm in the faith. When confronted by darkness, we step up as beacons of light. In the face of injustice, we shout out to the king of kings. When corruption seems to prevail, we respond with clean hands. In the moment of despair and chaos, we choose hope and endurance. When the world proclaims death, we proclaim Jesus. So what do you do when the Messiah doesn't meet your expectation? Don't lose hope. Don't put your hope in in expectations of circumstances. Jesus was so clear about this, friends. No one one builds a tower without counting the the cost. If, if, If they hated him, they'll hate us. If wrong was done to him, look at his disciples, look at so many of those who lived faithful lives that were persecuted, that were martyred, that were, that were given lives of, of lived lives of, of immense suffering. And I'm not saying that that's God's plan for us, but we have to understand God doesn't cease being good. Jesus doesn't cease being king because our lives are walking through hardships. Because even in the seasons of blessings, we still say amen to King Jesus. In the seasons of suffering, we say amen to King Jesus. In the seasons where our expectations are unmet, we say amen to King Jesus. In Christmas morning, when some of our traditions and our hopes and our expectations are uh, unmet, we say amen to King Jesus. And I promise you, when Jesus is the focus, there will be no expectation that goes unmet that is not comforted by him. That is how we find our joy. So what do we do? We don't lose hope. In the words of the great philosopher Joe Dirt, we keep on keeping on. That's it. In the midst of our unmet expectations, we be confident that there's a king who's working diligently and masterfully on behalf of those who love him or are called according to his purpose. 
This is why Romans 8 is so important that we understand that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And let me just be clear with this. It does not mean it's going to work out the way we think. But God is doing something better than we think. And it might be the most painful thing we're walking through. It might be the most exciting thing we're walking through. For those of you maybe with kids this year, first time coming into Christmas, it's going to be awesome. And next year might be a little different. You might begin chasing those things and, and having unmet expectations in relationships and, and even in your faith and your relationship with the Lord. And you say, God, I'm praying for this. And you know what, Lord? I'm, I'm feeling a little abandoned by you. I feel like, like that the expectation of, of, of peace, of healing, of deliverance, God, I, I expected that in this way. So I might have to go do things on my own. I might have to just make this happen on my own. And that's the point where you say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to continue putting my hope in Christ because the reality is Jesus is on his throne. He is on his throne. He's building a kingdom masterfully. I'll have the worship team come back up. The kingdom of God is perfect and sinless. This is the way the Bible puts together. The first two chapters of Genesis describe this perfection. And then Genesis 3, all the way to Revelation 20, is sin, chaos, the promise of a king, the promise of a forever king, Jesus. And then the last two chapters of Revelation is back to the perfection with Jesus fully reigning as king, having made all things new. We are living in a time between the two comings of Christ. What a blessed time. What a hopeful time. So during this Christmas season, we are thankful for the salvation brought by the birth of his first coming. And we patiently await for him to return and reign on earth in his second coming. The eternal peace will come. I want to invite those here this morning to be courageously humble. Take a step of faith. Despite how often and hurt by the people of God or maybe even unmet expectations of God that you've had in your life. And I understand there are plenty of those in every one of our lives. I have been let down by my expectations of God over and over again. I have let down, been let down and hurt by people within the church over and over again. And I'll tell you something, running from those is not a solution. Because every one of those has God has used as an opportunity to grow and develop something in me, endurance and more faith and the willingness to walk through tough times and, and keep my eyes fixed upwards. And when we do that, Man, we become stronger people of faith. We become more forgiving. We become more grace-filled people when we can look at those who hurt us and we can say, oh, this is what Jesus meant when he says, pray for your enemies. Bless those who curse you. And you get to live free and you get to live with this King Jesus reigning in your heart in a new way and in a new reality. And you get to experience some of that kingdom within you. My greatest prayer over and over again is, Lord, help me to know you so well on this earth that when I meet you face to face, I am as least surprised as possible. I don't want to get up to eternity and go, oh, that's, that's the depth of you. 
Oh, I could have trusted you here. Oh, you had healing for me. You had forgiveness that you could have helped me. You had power. You had, you had a life for me. And I, I just don't want to get to that point and say, man, I was just too scared. I couldn't forgive this person. I couldn't walk in this grace. I couldn't walk in the forgiveness. I just want to know Jesus so clear now that I get to experience the power of the kingdom that already exists. And we are given his Holy Spirit to enable us to do that. To pray when we don't have the words. To bring forgiveness in the hearts and a desire for reconciliation, as Paul was talking about. Something that our flesh cannot do. The Spirit, Jesus says, hey, I know it's hard and I'm going to give you this, my Spirit. And he's going to be a counselor to you. John 16, that the Spirit's role is to counsel us into all truth. Wonderful counselor has been given to us. So let us experience as much of the kingdom on earth as possible right now so that when he comes and reigns, we're already familiar with the way his kingdom operates. And so this season, friends, next week when we meet up, we celebrate Christmas Eve and, and, and the thoughts of the, of the warmth and the lights and everything else, man, enjoy it. But let us not forget that that baby is not wrapped in a manger, but he is a reigning king on a throne. And he loves you. He loves you. He loves me. He loves the world. He loves the lost. He loves the broken. And he hung himself on a cross to be reconciled, that we would be reconciled to God. So when our expectations are not met, know that God does not cease being good. When they are met, know that God does not cease being good. So I want to implore you who have not surrendered your life to King Jesus to enter into a new life and a new kingdom with a new heart. I want to implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God this morning. So I ask that you would stand. I want you to know the joy of serving, of abiding with a wonderful counselor, with a mighty God, an everlasting father, prince of peace, because I know for one thing is certain that if you do not have Christ, you do not have a wonderful counselor, you do not have a mighty God, you do not know the peace of this God. And that's what your heart's after anyway. So I don't know, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are, but I know that right now, if God is tugging on your heart, you can do business with him right where you're at. You have access to God, creator, mighty God. So I'm going to pray for you. If this is you out there, Lord Jesus, King Jesus, wonderful counselor. I ask you, God, that you would give a desire in the hearts of those here today who have not surrendered their lives to you, Lord, that they would, for the first time, experience wonderful counsel, the mightiness of God, peace that only you bring, power from your spirit, Lord. God, that they would surrender their will, they would surrender their desire to you that, that this Christmas would be the first Christmas they celebrate 
thinking of the birth of their personal Savior. God, would you bring them into your kingdom, into your family, as the angels sing with joy. And for the rest of us, Lord, who have, who have had faith and have faith in you, Lord, and are struggling and hurting with unmet expectations, God, would you comfort us as the comfort, as the God of all comfort? Would you help us to have a bigger perspective and hope in the promises of your return? the promise of all things being made new. Lord, I ask that you would give us hearts that don't put off till tomorrow what can be done today. We ask this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus, for your glorious name and the good of your people. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play.